Welcome back as we kick off the 5 o'clock hour here with uh, one of our favorites. been a great day for guests today, and our next one certainly in the mix for that. He's Zubin Mahente with ESPN. Zubin, good afternoon to you. Uh, busy time for you in Bristol with football and, and obviously the Ohio State situation from yesterday. Never a dull moment, I am going to assume. Yeah, you know, it was one of those situations where I think everybody – was on standby because once the investigation was complete on Sunday and then the Board of Trustees was briefed the following day and then the executive session took place yesterday, you know, they said there was no timetable for a decision. But the reality is the regular season opener is September 1, and I don't think they would publicly admit that football was going to be uh, a decision-making factor in this, even though I think a lot of skeptics believe that may have been the key factor in all this. But it's simply one of those situations where they needed a resolution for the team, the guys that have had nothing to do with this, but they have to deal with the consequences of this. They needed to do something for Ryan Day. They needed to do something for Coach Meyer. And they also needed to do something for the 50,000 undergraduate students that are being asked about this constantly. Classes began at Ohio State this week, and just to have this hanging over the university, the student body, the athletic program, the football players, they needed to have some sort of resolution. So yesterday when you saw Shelly Meyer, when you saw Urban Meyer, when you saw Gene Smith coming into the Longenberger Alumni Hall where they were holding this Board of Trustees meeting, you got the feeling something was going to happen. Happened a little bit later in the day, almost 11, I think 11-plus hours of deliberations and discussion took place. And then we got the news, and Trent, I would say sometimes even the bigger news was the full report that was released Afterwards, you know, we went on the air on Sports Center and we broke in and we did a lot of coverage. But I remember I kept saying to every guest and everybody that was watching at home or wherever they were watching that if you really want the scoop on what's happening, here's what we can tell you: three games for Urban, 17 days for Gene Smith. Who of course, you guys know from his days at Iowa State. But let's wait to get the actual details of the full report, which Mary Jo White, the lead investigator, said would be out later that evening, and I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm pretty sure you, I would concur, uh, you would concur with me, we haven't talked about this, but I'm pretty sure you would probably agree, some of the things in that full report were really eye-opening, to say the least. It, it certainly was, Zubin, and you were right at the forefront of it. It wasn't a day off for you, so I'll be honest, I started on Big Ten Network, BTN, right when they cut to it, though, BTN didn't have the audio, and they got it a little bit later, so I'm flipping around, I go to ESPN, Little League World Series is on. Go to ESPN News. Can't remember what was on. It wasn't that. Go to 208 ESPNU, the Alabama documentary was on. So I get to ESPN <laughs> 2, 209 on DirecTV, and there you were right as uh, the, the press conference was beginning. I didn't even realize that you were anchoring at the time until it came back. And Zubin, look, we, we like to talk about games. We like to talk about the fun things in sports, but... This for you, I mean, as a journalist, not a broadcaster, not a presenter, but as a journalist, had to feel like a pretty big deal. And, and I'll have to tell you, not only did I think you did a great j- job, as I normally do, my wife was watching with me, and she commented, oh, that's that guy that you have on the radio, Zubin, huh? Boy, he really did a nice <laughs> job. She, she was impressed, too. I thought you knocked it out of the park in a difficult circumstance. I appreciate you saying that. I appreciate your wife saying that. I think the biggest thing in a situation like that, and I think, you know, we've all been covering stories of, of that magnitude. I remember back when I was working in Iowa, the one story that really sticks out uh, for each of the major schools was, you know, Iowa State's situation with Larry Eustachie, because to some people that was an out-of-control coach. For some people that was shock and awe at the pictures. 
And for other people, it was a story about alcoholism. And you had to really be careful with that. And then the other one for Iowa certainly was the Pierre Pierce story. Mm -hmm. And that was a very delicate story. And when I covered both of those stories in Iowa, I worked in Denver when uh, Darren Williams, who was a promising young cornerback from the Broncos, was shot and killed on New Year's Eve. These are the types of stories, all these stories, whether it's Pierre Pierce, that particular story in Denver, Larry Eustacey, or what happened last night with Ohio State. Uh, the two words I always keep in mind when I do a story like that, tone, tenor. Because I'm not there to offer my opinion. Uh, I don't think anybody cares about my opinion in that particular instance. I'm there to tell you that is Michael V. Drake. He's the president of The Ohio State University. Surely you know that's Urban Meyer. This is Urban Meyer's boss, Gene Smith. This is why we're here today. This is what has been adjudicated. He's been suspended for three games. I guess you're wondering who are Ohio State's first three games. Here you go. Oregon State Rutgers, Texas Christian. Tell me a little something about Ryan Day. Tell me a little something about Coach Meyer. And sometimes you don't overthink it, Trent. When Urban Meyer talks, you put the camera right on him and let him talk until every last drop is out of his mouth. And the same thing for the president and Gene Smith. So sometimes these are really big instances, but sometimes you just scale back and say, in the biggest of moments, just do the easiest thing possible, which is just restate the facts for the viewers like yourself that are just flipping around that are hearing about it on social media or just stumbling into it, however they are, and then let them make their determination. Now, if we want context and perspectives, that's why we had Reese on. That's why we had Kirk on. Greg McElroy, Paul Feinbaum, David Pollack, or Mark Schwartz is reporting from Columbus. We had an essay on Urban Meyer's legacy, which obviously right now is uh, taking a little bit of a hit. Obviously, it's still not fully done and written. But to have those voices, those are the people you can ask for perspective and analysis. I was just there to pilot the ship and make sure everybody knew what was going on and try to ask the best possible questions. I will say, Trent, um, had we known some of the details of that report, I mean, can you imagine, for those of you that watched the press conference last night, can you imagine if somebody had combed through that report beforehand or gotten their hands on it, and I'm sure they kept it very close to the vest and didn't release it until they wanted to, if somebody would have asked Urban Meyer about the medication story that was broached, or somebody would have said to him, um, what do you feel about your wife in the report saying that she was a little skeptical about some of Courtney Smith's stories? I mean, can you imagine Irving Meyer having to answer a question that basically says your wife is skeptical of the accuser? And considering the way Coach Meyer answered some of those questions yesterday, I didn't think he did a particularly great job. I, I think he should have spoken a little more from the heart, uh, and I, I think he was a little tone deaf in some cases. Imagine a question like that. When some of those salacious details came out of the full report afterwards, I can only imagine what it would have been like had that been out there before. Because I talked to reporters from ESPN to the New York Times to Cleveland.com to everybody that was there, the Cleveland Plain Dealer. There were some pretty tough questions asked, no question. There, there was. And afterwards then... Of course, your stable of college football or reporters and commentators were coming on to give their thoughts on it. I thought David Pollock was excellent. Really, your whole staff that you brought in during your time, Zubin, I thought very strong opinions, measured, yet it, it was a disappointing night, I, I think, for college football across the landscape. And, you know, football wins. It's an uh, unfortunate circumstance and, and a whole lot of vitriol that has come out here now over the last day. Yeah, I mean, it depends how you want to define what you think of the situation, because obviously I think this is fair. I don't know if you would agree, but, uh, you know, there were three outcomes, right? He could have been reinstated fully. He could have been suspended and reinstated, or he could have been fired. 
And I think a lot of people did not think from an optics perspective it could be the first, right? I mean, just fully reinstating him, even if Coach Meyer said, I didn't do anything wrong, he passionately argued for no sort of uh, punishment whatsoever. From an optics perspective, I'm just not sure the university could do it. As more and more time went on, Trent, I don't know about you, but the guests you probably had on, the people I've talked to, the more and more this went on from August 1st when he was placed on administrative leave or even going back to the 23rd um, when he fired Zach Smith and the next day the infamous Big Ten media days. As the days have gone on, I actually thought it was a less and less chance he was going to get fired. I thought initially it was like, wow, he could be in a lot of trouble. But as we started to go through this month, his firing seemed like less and less of a possibility. So the middle, the middle option, which was suspension and then reinstatement, seemed like the most likely solution. Now, obviously, it's easy for us to say that in hindsight. The question just is what kind of suspension was going to be levied. I thought Reese made a good point last night. It could have been two games, but if it's two games and everybody thinks they can easily defeat Oregon State and Rutgers, is it a coincidence that Coach Meyer would be reinstated and ready to go when 16th-ranked Texas Christian comes to town? So I think they probably had to put that third game on there because I think that would have made a lot of people say, oh, okay, you'll suspend them until it gets a little bit tough, and then we'll have Coach back on the sidelines. So there's so many things to take into account, too. Here's the other thing, Trent. I can't speak for anybody, but from, the, from people I hear and people I talk to, think about it like this. If Urban Meyer had been fully reinstated uh, with no punishment, and I know Coach Meyer thinks he didn't do anything wrong and he went to the proper chain of command in his mind, but if they had fully reinstated him, here's what you're looking at. At this particular juncture, Zach Smith's coaching life, for all intents and purposes, is done. Right? He's never going to get another coaching job. He'll probably never get a job in public life again with these accusations. But here's the thing. He's never been charged with a crime, and as a result, he's never been convicted of a crime. So if Meyer had been fully reinstated, Trent, you are then saying that the accuser who basically said, this person did this to me, my former husband did this to me, and that person would not have been charged or convicted of a crime. So in essence, there is no punitive damages to Zach Smith. If Urban Meyer had been reinstated and made his entire $7.6 million salary, there would have been no punitive damages to Urban Meyer, and it just doesn't seem or feel like to a lot of the American public from an optics perspective that Zach Smith can have no punitive damages against him. Urban Meyer, if he was fully reinstated, would have no punitive damages against him, and the accuser, Courtney Smith, would be left wondering, what's going on here? Neither one of these guys has paid one cent. Nothing has come out of their paychecks. What are the real consequences? Again, I have to emphasize, Shelley Meyer said in the report, She thought some of what Courtney Smith said was fabricated. I wasn't there. I don't know. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty. I'm sure Zach Smith's lawyer would be the first person to tell you that. But if I look at it from the outside and I say nothing has happened to Zach Smith and nothing has happened to Urban Meyer, if he was fully reinstated yesterday... I just don't think that would fly in America 2018. I don't know if you agree with that. No, I, I think you are exactly right on that point, Zubin. It's uh, a, a day that uh, I think a lot of people remember the unfortunate circumstances, yet here we are on the cusp of football season, and I'm ready to talk football, Zubin. This this offseason, there's been a lot of talking at a local level. This is an anticipated combined year for both Iowa's Iowa State as we've ever had. You have this hanging out. The Big Ten has had some rough, rough transgressions that have happened throughout this past year. You go on and on and on. I'm, I'm just ready to tee it up, and I'm pumped up. Give me Hawaii, Colorado State. Put that on my TV tonight. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to see in that game that Mike Bobo uh, is back, and there are some health concerns with Colorado State's coach. And the wet the appetite week is pretty good. I think you're going to see Wyoming a little bit later this week, too. 
Uh, we'll start with Northwestern and Purdue, which maybe isn't the, you know, the most high-profile Big Ten game, but I think if people give it a chance, I think, and you guys are well aware of Purdue and mm-hmm. you know what Northwestern and kind of kind of been Iowa's thorn in the side. I know you're a big Hawkeye fan, but you know, they, you know what they're capable of doing. They've won 10 games two of the last three years. Um, Purdue plays a great, exciting brand of football. They're going to have the night to themselves because the NFL would not have started. It's essentially a week before the NFL starts on August 30th, the NFL on September 6th. So this will be a great opportunity for college football to just share the spotlight the whole opening weekend, in fact, whether you got Washington or Auburn, and we're working on something about that uh, tonight. And you've got, um, uh, obviously, the, the LSU-Miami game, which is interesting, too. So college football, I know you're a big college football fan. I am. I know a lot of your listeners are. It'll be great that it'll basically not have to share the attention with anything else because once we do get into the season, I don't know how you guys do it on your show Monday, I would assume, you know, there is plenty of interest in the Bears and the Chiefs and the Vikings, et cetera, and the Packers, but I would assume it's always going to be Iowa and Iowa State yep. uh, on a Monday to lead off your show, and then you'll get to the other stuff as, as it permits. But for us, it's interesting because, you know, all, Saturday we're all college football, and then Sunday, even though so much of the country is breaking down the poll and, and talking about who should be where, we're directly into NFL mode. So for a guy that loves college football like I do and like you do, I'm just happy that for a week or maybe a week and a half here, essentially speaking, we can just talk about college football because despite what people say about the NFL and its ratings and what's going on, um, it's gigantic on Sunday. You know, where there's so much college football talk to be had on Saturday and probably could be discussed into Sunday, but I think it's pretty, pretty well established that in most portions of the country, Saturday belongs exclusively to college football and Sunday belongs to the NFL. I'm sure there are fans out there that all they think about is college football and all certain fans think about is the NFL. But from our perspective, they're both really big. We're invested in both. Our viewers love both. And so it's kind of cool to just be able to pivot from one to the other. But the key is just having at least one of them back so we can do this, right? Right, yes. Get them back out there. I got high school football tomorrow night. I'm pumped up for that. Should be uh, good. We got Ankeny Ankeny Centennial in our matchup. Zubin, and, uh, I, well, you never got to cover the Cross City rivalry as it was just Ankeny High back in the day. Hey, one more, Zubin. I mentioned you know, I'm excited yeah. to see Hawaii-Colorado State. I'm excited to see New Mexico State, their first bowl appearance in 50-some years a year ago in that week one. But week zero, I guess, as it's termed. I, I've had this theory, this thought that has been rattling around. Week one, you and I plays Montana. They've seen each other a lot in the playoffs, two proud programs at the FCS, formerly one A level wouldn't it make sense when everyone is starved for football to play a game like that there, to have North Dakota State play somebody big from that level in Week 1, South Dakota State? The, the powers of the FCS get together and own Week 0 for the FCS level. Is that something that could work and something that you think ESPN would be interested in broadcasting a bunch of those games? Well, I certainly think it would work because there would be TV partners lining up because if you're Watch Stadium, if you're Facebook, if you're CBS Sports Network, if you're ESPN, if you're NBC Sports Network, people are always looking to increase their live inventory because I think in today's age of 24-7 sports, the one thing that truly is your breakthrough element is your live events. Like on a sports talk station, as, as you well know, it's extremely valuable to be tied to a franchise, right? WHO with the Hawkeyes. Or I think you guys have the Chiefs, right? I mean, it's, it's very valuable to be tied into some sort of live team or broadcast. So I don't think in any way, shape, or form they would have trouble getting coverage. Now, even if those teams are not seen as high profile, there are plenty of places, like I said, like Watch, like Facebook, that are just getting into this particular space 
and would love to do it. We could put it on ESPN Plus. That's our new streaming service. But I would say it has been tried before, and actually it was tried to great success. You may remember uh, a few years ago, uh, one of our uh, early, early season games, to your point, before the regular season started, we had a great game between North Dakota State and Montana. And as you both mentioned, traditional powers, obviously in this case you were talking about you and I, but obviously I think we all know how good North Dakota State has been. Iowa fans may know that a little more than they like. Uh, But Montana was great back in the day. I'm your age. I remember the mid-'90s. They had this gunslinging quarterback named Dave Dickinson. He was a tremendous player, and the Grizzlies have had a great history. And Brent Musburger is actually – Brent is from uh, Montana. And so Brent called that game. So how about that? So a few years ago, we had North Dakota State at Montana. I believe it's Missoula, Montana is where they play. And Brent Musburger was on the call, and uh, Montana won that game. Now, I don't know if Rob Ash, I'm sure you remember the great Rob Ash, Drake football legend. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's putting it a little uh, too much. But Drake football (laughs) coach Rob Ash, I believe, left Drake. When I was there, he was the coach of Drake. He eventually left for Montana. And I can't remember if he actually was the coach in that particular game when they took on on North Dakota State, whether it was Climbing or Bull or whoever it was for NDSU, for the Bison, that day. But that is something we have done in the past. College Game Day has gone to James Madison University. I think Richmond played James Madison recently. Uh, Richmond is obviously a power at that level. Um, and College Game Day is actually broadcast live from there. But I agree with you. I think that would be a great place because the atmosphere would be electric. It would be awesome. The entire town would show up for it. And it would be different. I think we're always looking for something different today. Uh, in TV, but it has been tried and it was very successful. And Trent, as you know, in TV or radio, when something is tried and it's successful, people will likely try it again. Just uh, well, we got the idea. Just give me Jimmy Bataro's uh, uh, phone number. All right, does that sound good? <laughs> I'll have him text you right after okay, we're done. Okay, that sounds good. That sounds good. For people that don't know, Jimmy Pitaro, the new president of ESPN. Have you had much interaction with the the new guy running the ship? I met him at the Masters. Uh, that was kind of one of his first assignments at ESPN, because that's obviously uh, an event ESPN is really proud to be a part of. I think they've been broadcasting the first and second rounds through CBS for about the last decade, and obviously the Par 3 contest is something that's been very special uh, to ESPN. And that actually wasn't televised for many years until, until ESPN yeah. started televising it, which is crazy because it's such a fun and unique event. And this year with Jack's grandson having an ace, with Jack standing on the tee, it was just it was remarkable and unbelievable. So uh, he was out there at that point. But the one thing I would tell you about him, if you've done some research on him, and I'm sure some of your listeners have, because I know you guys do quite a bit of media talk, uh, he was the head of Disney Interactive. And so streaming the phone, everything is moving forward, lightning fast at that particular pace. And I wouldn't be surprised last night. You may have been watching with your wife on television, but I think there's a lot of people that may have gotten some sort of alert on their phone that this has happened with Urban Meyer, complete coverage on ESPN2 bust out your phone wherever you are, and you watch it. So I think more and more, while we both were kind of we're kind of old guys, Trent, we grew up in the television age, at the age of 40 or close to, um, he's putting a huge emphasis on our next generation of people, and not even our next generation of people, people myself, like yourself and myself, that are maybe TV guys first, but you know, I know Ken still picks up the newspaper, we're not yeah. that old, but no, you know, no. you got that guy out there too, <laughs> um, you definitely want to be able to make sure everybody can get under the tent, because if you go to your circle of friends, and you go from 50 to 100 to 200 to 250, and the guy you saw at your high school reunion that you haven't seen for 10 years, like everyone's got capability with a cell phone or a tablet now, and it's frankly become the easiest way to reach people. I was joking with somebody the other day at work, and they were just like, wait a minute, when you were a kid, you remembered all your friends' phone numbers? I'm like, that's the way we had to do it, man. I mean, of course. 
I knew it. it was only seven. We all had the same area code, you know, but it's one of those things where people are just sort of like, that's crazy. I'm like, I know, I know, but he's definitely, Mr. Pitaro is definitely moving us into that realm. And it's smart because it's not just people like your daughter, who's obviously super young, but she's going to be of that entire generation. Hopefully we'll still be around working in 25 to 30 years and our parents and all that stuff. So it's just becoming ubiquitous, you know, and it's one of those things where if you don't evolve, you die in any business. Mm-hmm. And I think we're doing a really good job of sort of getting on it. I mean, even Tiger today was on ESPN+. Plus. If you wake up today, you're a Tiger fan, back-to-back t- uh, top 10 finishes at majors. What's he doing in the FedEx Cup? He hasn't played three weeks in a row forever. He hasn't won in five years. And boom, you turn on ESPN+, Plus, our streaming service, at 7.30 in the morning, and you're watching the first round of the FedEx Cup. So it's crazy how fast it's moving, Trent, but we just have to keep on moving with it. We'll keep trying, Zubin. We'll try again next week to track you down. No busy time with you with football season. Thanks, as always, for joining us here today. All right, Trent, take care. That's Zubin Mahente, ESPN. A lot of great stuff. This Zubin's not on anymore. This isn't blowing smoke. I really, he did an outstanding job, I thought, last night on that coverage. It's difficult Difficult circumstances. He knocked it out of the park. The commentators, I thought, were wonderful. ESPN, hey, say what you will. And I know there's plenty of detractors out there. And a story like that, more times than not, they got it right. And that was certainly the case with Zubin anchoring things last evening. Coming up next, uh, well, more on Urban Meyer. We'll talk some football, too. We got Ken Silverstein waiting in the wings from Ohio. His thoughts What went down with Urban Meyer yesterday? That's coming up as we take you up until 6 o'clock. Back with more on 1700. Back with you as we continue on. Jimmy B and TC minus the Jimmy B portion. Trent Condon running solo with you on your drive home. Right now, we go to Ohio. And Ken Silverstein joins us as he normally does does on a Thursday. And uh, speak of timely, Ken, we kind of knocked this one out of the park, huh? Yeah, it's, it's been a little quiet in the Big Ten. Let's see, Ohio State, uh, Maryland, Michigan State still has issues. Michigan, I'm not sure. They're downplaying the sneaker deal yes. or the shoe deal. Yeah. So, yeah, it's good to be Jim Delaney these days as he tries to figure out why things are turning into chaos right between his almighty two eyeballs. You know, uh, a couple of things I wanted to get into here with you as it pertains to Urban Meyer and the first is the three-game suspension portion of it. And there's plenty of things to be frustrated about, plenty of head-scratching uh, parts of this. But, you know, when we've talked about this in the past, Ken, you thought it was going to be a couple of games. I always maintained I thought he was going to get a four-game suspension. They cut in the middle at three. But right before we came on the air, you had mentioned you were just surprised because game three is against TCU. I almost think that's the reason that they had to do it. They wanted to have a suspension here. They wanted to also show that there's some teeth to the suspension for that TCU game in Week 3, and I think that's why maybe if a lot of people thought it was two, it sends at least a better message, one of the few good messages, that it was three as opposed to two. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, I was a little surprised. Um, I kept saying to you, and and when Jim made a cameo, uh, (laughs) Brinson, obviously, AWOL for the umpteenth time, whatever. I should be Jim Brinson. We all should be. Uh, But getting back to the meat of the the subject matter, yeah, I kept saying, too, I was trying to be as consistent as possible. So, you know, I think I said to you last week that, you know, I'd go down like Custer uh, with two. It ended up being three. I see your point. I I think it's a good one. It's a national TV game. I think Fox is doing it, if I'm not. I'm uh, mistaken. It's a Jerry World game. It's in Arlington, Texas. 
I think TC was 16th rank, at least in some polls, and maybe a little up, a little down in some others. I think it just depends on what you look at. Um, they're going to be starting a new quarterback. They just lost their nose tackle. He's one of their best defensive linemen. He's got a bad knee, and I think we'll miss the rest of the year. So, yeah, I think it's a little bit more bite to it um, because it's TCU. If it had been, let's say they had rotated the games. Um, let's say week three had been Rutgers mm-hmm. and week two had been TCU. It isn't, but let's just say for conversation purposes. Then I think following your thought process, it would have been a two-game uh, suspension because of the the um, magnitude, let's say, of uh, TCU as their, quote, big non-conference game. So it's a little funky, F-U-N-K-Y, in that um, he's going to be able to, quote, coach during the week once we get into September, but then not be able to coach, you know, the first, second, third game. So it's it's a little bit on the strange side, but that's what they caught. Um, and um, he'll be ready for week four when they take on that heavyweight green wave at Tulane uh, in Columbus, Buckeyes play three of the first four home games. If you had been right and it had been four games, then week five, when he would have come back, would have been Penn State on national TV, most likely on ABC. So I think also went into their thinking, looking at the schedule, was, yes, we want to agree with Trent. We want to put a little meat in this thing and make it three well, let's not make it four because we want to give them time to get ready for Penn State because you can make an argument the winner of that game is not only going to win the East, but you can make an argument that they will then take on most likely Wisconsin uh, in early December in Indianapolis. And that makes it awfully big. Let's get into uh, a few of the nuts and the bolts here. Ken, uh, I think for many people, myself included, I said earlier today, I, I literally yelled at my television when one of the final questions that was asked is for him to you know, have an opportunity to speak to Courtney Smith and what he would say to him. Completely sidestepped the question. It was infuriating for me to see that. What was your takeaway, an opportunity to say something to her, and he completely dodged it? Well, there's two things going on here. Number one, you're right, from a police, uh, the PC point of view, um, the quote, what most people would think is the right thing to do, would have been to have some type of verbiage. But let me give you a little insight here. She's a bad apple. He knows she's a bad apple. Now, Zach Smith is a really, 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 really bad apple, but she's a bad apple, okay? And he knows that. And I think in his mind, and I somewhat see it, Look, if I was coaching him on this, I would have said, look, I know how you feel. I know she's rotten to the core, okay? I know she's a bad apple. But you know what? You're going to have to fib here a little bit and say the PC things, okay? I know you don't like it. I know you don't agree with it. I agree with you in this fake scenario that I'm painting here verbally. But you're going to have to do it. We all have to do things in life that we don't want to say or do. He didn't want to do that. Now, some are going to say that wasn't the smart thing to do, which is what you're saying. I, I somewhat agree with you. It would have been the wiser thing to do, but he doesn't believe that. And quite frankly, I don't believe that. And many other people who are pretty close or very close to this thing. She's a bad apple, okay? And people have not paid enough attention to her actions. 
and her setting him up in certain occasions. Yes, was he dumb for falling for it? Yeah, you can make an argument for that. Uh, but she is not pure here. And I think there's some media types nationally who, for whatever reason, with their agenda, maybe with no agenda, for whatever reason, have dismissed that point of view. And I, I think that's wrong, but you're right. He should have, but I understand why he didn't, even though mo- the jury would say it would have been a lot smarter to say it than, quote, not say. Does that make any sense? It, it does. I, I just I think we're getting awfully dangerous to victim shaming, and this is... One of the things that is brought up a lot when people talk about mm-hmm. the reason that a lot of these things never come to the surface is because of uh, some of the things you were saying there, Ken. What is it? What is it about her that you believe that her accusations are without merit? Well, I think because her mom and other people have really ripped her apart, and that's part of it. Now, there are, some people are going to say, well, they must have an agenda also, and families are families, and yeah. not everybody agrees, and I get that. I have a family, and Believe me, uh, I know the, the ups and the downs uh, from, from that perspective. Um, I know I've just been told by certain people very close to the program that she is not Snow White, okay? But, but, but there's is, one thing not to be Snow White, even if, if she is a terrible person that doesn't constantly getting beat, no, no, beat up no, by her right. husband. No, no, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm not saying that. Look, no one should ever. I mean, when I was a little kid, I didn't have any sisters. I have, I have a younger brother, okay? My parents told me never, when we were little kids in the sandbox or a little bit older, you don't ever hit a girl, okay? You should learn at a young age as a boy, later to become a man, hopefully, that you never, ever, ever, ever hit a girl or woman. Now, if you are in a situation where she is coming after you with a knife or a gun, God forbid, mm-hmm. well, then you've got to protect yourself. I get that, okay? But if it's a more normal situation, whatever that means, again, I'm not a not a police officer. I don't deal with, you know, spousal abuse and family feuds and all this other stuff. I agree with you. Look, Zach Smith is despicable. I need a thesaurus to come up with the right word or words. I'm not, I'm not on his side. He's, he's a bad, 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 bad guy, okay? And he should have been fired a long time ago. And if it hadn't been the Earl Bruce thing, look, the bottom line in all of this, when you cut through all of this, okay, is that you can say a lot of things about Urban Meyer, okay? If, if you're someone that he thinks is loyal, or let me rephrase it, he was so loyal to the late, great Earl Bruce that it ended up causing his judgment or his better judgment to go haywire. If the Earl Bruce angle, because for those who don't remember or don't know, Zach Smith is the grandson of former Ohio State coach and other stops along the way, uh, Earl Bruce. Earl Bruce gave Urban Meyer his start. He, he loved, you can't, you can't put enough oomph into the relationship that Urban Meyer had with the late, great Earl Bruce. And because of that, and because of the grandson to, the, or Zach Smith, the grandson to, in this case, the late, great Earl Bruce, um, look, did he make mistakes because of that loyalty to Earl Bruce? 
Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about it. But maybe this is just me. I've always respected loyalty. Yes. Can loyalty get you in trouble? Yes. Urban Meyer. Can loyalty also be very commendable? Yes, it can. And the way I was brought up, loyalty is very important. And maybe one other thing to answer this part of the question. And I've had, I've had Urban Meyer in gang settings. When I say gang settings, for those out there who don't know what I'm talking about, when there's a media throng, when there's a lot of media around, let's say whomever, okay? I've been around where, in this case, Urban Meyer has talked about Earl Bruce in the past. And you just can tell. I mean, it's just different than anything he talks about, other than talking about his dad. Those are the two people that he gets mushy, real mushy about. And so I love loyalty, but he made mistakes. Meaning, um, Earl Bruce, uh, Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer made mistakes because his his judgment got clouded mightily because his loyalty to Earl Bruce, which obviously affected his decision making in regards to Earl Bruce's grandson, and that would be uh, Zach Smith. Does any does that make sense to you? Yep, there's no doubt. Here's my angle. Ohio State, for my 38 years on this planet, they're always good at football. They're always no incredibly doubt. talented. They put football first here. We've seen oh, them no doubt. Get, oh, get rid of Trent, coaches. Uh, this, it, is, this is everywhere. Well, no, I shouldn't say everywhere. Let me rephrase that. Um, in my travels, in my professional career, without bogging people down at where I've worked, it's not important. We'll just make it a, a general statement. I've been around probably five or so of the top 12 programs in the country, okay? A couple of them are Texas, Florida, Florida State, Ohio State, to among them, mm-hmm. okay? These are all major, major domo players. I don't care what they say. They're all the same. They're all the same. <laughs> now, let me stop and say, am I, am I putting Iowa or Iowa State or Northwestern or Vanderbilt or some other programs? No, not every program is, what, is like this. But at your top, Alabama's this way. I don't care what Clemson says. Clemson can play a certain card. Clemson is this way. If you're playing for national championships, and right now and we probably could dispute the number of teams every year that have a legitimate shot. Mm -hmm. But let's say for conversation purposes, we say every year, I don't know, I could be a little off here. Let's say six teams have a legitimate shot. All six are the same. They all, I don't care what they say. They can lie to you. They can fit to you. They can snowball you. They can schmooze you, whatever you want to call it, okay? They're all the same. They're all the same. Take it from somebody who's been around these programs and, 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 and obviously dealing with Ohio State and the Big Ten in general. Not everybody in the Big Ten is like this. I'm not saying that. But if you are hunting for national championships every year, if you're hunting the top five recruiting classes are the only thing acceptable and anything less than that, is a disaster in the eyes of some, they're all the same. I'm not condoning it. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just telling you, this is blunt honesty. They're all the same. So uh, one more on this as we talk with Ken Silverstein joining us here. It's Jimmy B and TC. The information that was released then afterwards with basically Mm -hmm. the nuts and bolts. Urban Meyer takes medication, which leads him to forget things. They don't truly believe we're going to buy this garbage, right? I mean, come on. Urban Meyer doesn't remember things because of medication. Does 
what we hope around here he remembers giving up 55 to Iowa a year ago. But I mean, come yeah. on, come on yeah. Ken. I mean, the, you talk about no, some of I, the. I, Trent, I don't, I, I don't know what's in this medicine uh, cabinet. It's, Do we still use medicine cabinet, uh, cabinets today? Question. I don't know. I'm showing my age here. Whatever. Wherever you keep your, your quote, medicine that you have to take for whatever reason, uh, and we all get older, hopefully. And because we get older, sometimes we have to do um, follow doctor's orders and take certain prescriptions. I get that. I have no idea. The only thing I do know is that, obviously, he had some issues medically at the end of the University of Florida run. Okay. And I don't know whether he still is taking those medications, singular or plural. I don't know if he was. Did he stop at a certain point? I have no idea. And other than, quote, Shelly Meyer and his doctor or doctors, I don't think anybody else knows. So I'm not going to touch that topic particularly. I saw, I read the thing, as you did and most other people did. Um, look, um, he was very uncomfortable at that thing yesterday. Gene Smith, the AD, who I call Mr. Teflon, um, handled it a little bit better. Uh, but that's Gene's personality, quite frankly. He's a little bit more of a jovial, glad-hander type, where Meyer is a very intense, competitive individual i'm not saying gene isn't competitive but i think you know what i mean sure. uh, meyer is you don't win three national championships and you don't have the laser focus this guy usually has and and be charming all the time he's not uh he's not a bad guy uh by by, by no means but he was not wanting to be there and i think he somewhat went through the motions in so many words sure um, because I think he knew, look, he wasn't happy with this, and I don't think you'd be happy, and I don't think I'd be happy, okay, with a three-game suspension, okay? Does it affect the wins and losses? They're going to blow out. They're going to score 60 on Oregon State, okay, 50 on a, on a bad day. Rutgers, uh, they'll score 50. No matter if Chris Ash is on the sideline or not, as a former assistant at Ohio State, it ain't going to make any difference now. TCU is going to be a different story. First road game, uh, nighttime, hot, humid in there. Um, they ain't scoring 50 or 60 on TCU in no lifetime. Is that going to happen? Can they beat them? Yeah, they can beat them. They have a, as much talent as anybody in the country. Um, will they play like that? Who knows? Just look at Iowa. They didn't play like it, and they got, they got skunked. So um, my guess is they will play well. Um, I think they know... I think they're going to be challenged. So I think they're going to go 3-0. They'll beat Tulane, please. They'll score 50-60 on Tulane in game four. And then, then the big boy comes. They've got to go to Happy Valley, nighttime, whiteout, national TV. Last couple outings have been very, very close. Year prior, uh, Penn State did a little tricky move on a blocked field goal, which should have been a penalty. It wasn't called. Uh, they got away with it. Nice job by James Franklin and their special teams. It was obvious it was a penalty. They didn't call it. Blocked field goal, return, touchdown, they win. Last year, J.T. Barrett plays the best quarter and a half of football J.T. Barrett ever played in any lifetime, okay, and leads into a big comeback win in Columbus in a game that, quite frankly, Penn State had in the bag and should have won and let go. So week five, He'll be back. They would have already played Tulane one game. That will be a huge game, and uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But the big news, 
a week from tonight, yes, we will have college football. We've been counting this thing down <laughs> from about a hundred some days. We are now down to seven. And if you want to get technical, obviously, you know, Saturday, the following couple of days later, it'll be Saturday. What will that be? That would be September uh, 1st. I guess. Yes. 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 September 1st uh, will be the, quote, beginning of the season. We made it. We have made it. And we get. Hallelujah. Your words could not be more, <laughs> more motivating. Hallelujah. Thank goodness for the, we're almost there. Hawaii, Colorado State on Saturday, New Mexico State after that. I, I'm in for those games. And then real football uh, Thursday. Going to be good, Ken. Thanks, as always, for your time. We'll talk next week. We'll talk to you next Thursday. Thanks, Trent. Ken Silverstein stopping by with us in a deeper dive into Urban Meyer and Ohio State. We're coming back on the other side, wrapping things up with you until 6 o'clock. Back with more. It's Jimmy B and TC on 1700. Trent Cotton, back with you one final time as we wrap things up. Thanks for making us a part of your drive home here this afternoon. We'll be back tomorrow with a football Friday. Certainly excited about that. Well, a little football tonight. Just one game. You know, we've been spoiled a little bit the last couple of Thursdays with a few different options out there. Just one. It'll be on Big Fox. You'll get to hear Joe Buck, Troy Aikman, the defending champion, Eagles, against those upstart Cleveland Browns. Yeah, I'll go there. I'm going to start off my evening with that coming up at 7 o'clock. Baseball few baseball games uh, earlier today, but we got the Cubs in action against Cincinnati. Cole Hemmels continues to dominate for the Cubs. Can he keep it going after they end the skid and got the offense going last night? Be watching that. I'll be watching my Twins, and, and really not because of them, but just want to get a closer look at Oakland. Watched a lot of them last weekend against Houston, so I'll be digging into that, and probably that's about it for me tonight in sports. A light slate overall before football. We got football here for you tomorrow, our beginning of high school football coverage. Ankeny Centennial, Ankeny High, the matchup comes your way 7 o'clock tomorrow night here on 1700. I'll be on the call for that one. But before that, the Ken Miller Show with myself, Trent Condon, from noon till 2. Jimmy B and TC on your drive home from 4 until 6 o'clock. That'll do it for today. Enjoy your night in sports, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow here on 1700 KBGG.